One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. For me, the power of a modern decision engine like Tactile is that it enables teams to leverage a wide variety of data sources, whether it's internal data or whether it's external data when they are building their underwriting decisions and their credit policies. I'm not a monarchist, staunchly not. In fact, when I was writing the script for this, I quickly Googled to see when King Charles's coronation was going to be because I felt like it was coming up soon, only to find out it had happened months ago. I'm sure he's fine. I just don't think we should elevate anyone to such levels based on nothing but the luck of their birth because it props up a very problematic class system that continues, in my mind, to hold back the UK. But <laughs> that's not why I was researching the coronation. No, it's because when you type in carriage drawn by eight horses, the top return is invariably the gold stagecoach. An eight-horse-drawn carriage that was first commissioned for the 1761 coronation of George III, and that has been used in the coronation of every British monarch since William IV. Because yeah, being pulled by eight horses is pretty damn kingly. But what if you, or rather your recently formed startup, was being backed by eight unicorn founders? Because that's what Tactile has. Tactile allows companies of all sizes to build, run, and elevate automated decision flows without requiring developers to write complex code. A few weeks ago, you heard co-founder and CEO Mike Taravemayat take me through the findings of their first annual State of Lending report. And now he's back to talk about the business itself. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Mike Taravemeyer, co-founder and CEO at Tactile. Welcome back to How to Lend Money to Strangers. Brandon, it's great to be back on the show. Thanks for having me. It's not uncommon for fintech founders to come into financial services from a customer experience or a product design sort of industry and use that experience to disrupt the old guard. At least that was kind of the earlier model of fintech, just better customer service. But your background is more technical with a statistics degree from Harvard and getting your hands dirty in real uh, machine learning. So before we talk about Tactile and what you've built there, Talk to me about your early career and where you've come from in this industry. That's right. I did start my undergrads in industrial engineering, but what I enjoyed most doing my undergrad was actually math and statistics. So during my graduate studies, I focused on mathematics optimization and statistics, which in 2016 meant doing a lot of machine learning and I fell in love. And that is why I joined a company from some fellow graduate students from Harvard called Quanco, who took all of that academic knowledge and applied it to real world business challenges. And it was very interesting. And we, by that, got sucked into the whole financial world of applying those models at big banks and fintechs. And it was beautiful because these banks and fintechs, they have a lot of financial data, very structured data. So it was a perfect playground for us as researchers to actually see what works and what doesn't work. And we did see that a lot of these new models did actually end up making very precise predictions on 
future defaults of loans, on future claims of insurance policies. That was the start from the whole being of me going from engineering into, in the end, fintech. So what made you decide to follow that entrepreneurship path rather than, say, taking a Harvard degree and getting into blue chip management consulting or something a little bit more traditional? Yeah, I've always been some sort of a builder and I always like bringing people together to accomplish things. So I somehow had some of that entrepreneurial drive since I was a kid. So I decided not to follow my office at McKinsey or Boston Consulting Group where I interned because I wanted to work more technical and I wanted to code and I wanted to build. And yes, we were somehow consultants during the Quanco time, but in the end, we were building a company and we were like trying to apply those statistical models onto problems that no one has ever applied to before. And those years were incredibly entrepreneurial for me. So Mike, four years in, though, you decided to go off and start Tactile. What was the inspiration behind that move that wanted you to take it even a step further on that entrepreneurship journey? I think it was two main insights we gained during the time building a lot of machine learning models, new credit policies, loan products for big for big banks. The number one was that in order to actually operate those models, big companies, they needed infrastructure to do so. And if you work with a big bank and you know that, well, Brenton, there's a lot of legacy systems and those legacy systems are not built for very modern decisioning systems, like very complex rule systems, heuristics, machine learning models, statistical models, external data. And all of the infrastructure that we saw actually didn't fulfill the needs that we wanted to have in order to bring the things to production that we built ourselves. The second one was that if you help a bank to create lending IP, there's always a question around hmm, who now understands how it works and who owns it. Yeah. And the lending IP, that is something that you should own as a fintech, that you should own as a bank yourself. And that is why we were thinking we should actually build a software that helps internal risk teams and internal credit teams to even create more lending IP faster on their own without having any external dependencies. What was the reality like? And indeed, at Tactile, at least, you, you know, you're across Berlin and you're across New York now. How did that being international change the way it felt to be a young founder? The start was very tough. We raised our first round, the pre-seed round, the first week of March 2020. That was the start of COVID. <laughs> it was the week where the stock market plummeted by more than 30%. And all investors told us, you're not able to raise any money for the next couple of years because they were not predicting correctly that interest rates will go down to zero and there will be more money in the market than ever before. But at that point in time, that week was really, really horrible. We managed to get some money and we also managed to get into the Y Combinator program in San Francisco. However, we couldn't enter the country. We couldn't enter the US until the <laughs> end of 2021 because there was a travel ban. So us building a decisioning platform for a lot of banks and, and, and fintechs also in the US, but being located in Berlin, there was very tough with regards to working hours. And one of the probably most thrilling memories I have is when we signed our first customer branch, uh, one of the biggest microlenders in the world, we were going live at 2 a.m. in the morning Berlin time. You know, we were sitting there at our computers and we were waiting for the first loans to hit our production API. It was so late. We were so tired. We were so thrilled. But, you know, you can do that for a night. You can do that for two nights, but it's not a sustainable motion 
to to build a company. So yeah, it's quite tough to be between Berlin and New York for such a long time. But we opened the office in New York and, and it's going fantastic there. It seems that when it comes to fintech and tech more broadly, Berlin is actually where the action is in, in Germany. So would you mind sort of shedding some light on that German fintech scene? And I guess, where does it fit into the broader uh, European ecosystem? We have offices in London and New York and in Berlin. So all of those three locations have very different advantages on building a fintech company. It starts with Berlin, just very strong on engineering talent. For sure, one of the strongest tech hubs we have in Europe. If you look at N26, very strong engineering. A lot of people want to hire from there. So that's number one. Then number two, a lot of things changed since Brexit. And we have seen quite a grow of companies that can help you within the EU to build a fintech company, Raisin Bank or Vivid Money or Moss so very big neobanks that now have their own licenses. They can help you even with passporting like Raisin through the European Union. And that, of course, is eating some lunch from the London fintechs that, you know, were able to do that before. Then. Number three, one of the main advantages in Berlin is being strongly regulated with regards to GDPR, that you actually start building software with the gold standard. You know, if you go to any other country, and we do sell in Africa, in India, in LATAM, in the US, people do consider the regulations that we have in Germany as being the gold standard for things like information security. That is on Berlin. I think London was still huge fans. It's so strong on the financial ecosystem. It's really centered. If you're in London, like you have still all the big institutions there. You have so many big fintechs there. One of our customers like CUDA, they're going from London, but then they have a lot of operations and building a bank in Nigeria. And you still have many of those examples of like internationally very successful fintechs still being located in London. So although there's Brexit, it's still one of the most interesting fintech hubs in the world. But of course, New York, finishing that up, that is the financial center of the world. I've never seen a city where there's so much talent and knowledge in lending and risk. And I think that's hard to copy and hard to grow into if you're Berlin in such a short period of time. You've built a software platform that allows businesses to build, run and evaluate automated decision flows quicker and in a more data-driven fashion than ever before. What does that mean in terms of nuts and bolts product? Tactile is a modern decision engine which means that we have built a low-code, no-code platform that makes it really easy for credit and risk teams to build and run automated underwriting decisions. And doing that with a really high level of accuracy. The amount of data that is available now has allowed lenders to really level up the accuracy of their decisions. And you know, most lenders don't have the infrastructure they need to harness these data sources. So for me, the power of a modern decision engine like Tactile is that it enables teams to leverage a wide variety of data sources, whether it's internal data or whether it's external data, when they are building their underwriting decisions and their credit policies. And by using Tactile, we're seeing lenders increase the amount of customers they approve without taking any more risk. That's one huge advantage, just more customers without more risk. You do that by experimenting with new data sources so that they can actually lend to completely new customer segments. So if you take one of our examples, like one of our customers is a B2B credit card company in the US, and they are expanding their footprint from traditional businesses, which they can easily underwrite by using bureau data, to now tech startups. And they do that by using 
external data, which in this example is open banking data. Traditional bureaus, they have a very hard time to evaluate such a young company. And if they use no open banking data, they can see when that startup got new funding and they can see how much money they're burning each month. And that, in the end, gives them a very accurate insight into the financial health of those companies. Two months ago or so, you were on the show talking about your first annual state of lending report. And one of the major themes we discussed when we spoke for that was agility. So what does that mean? What does that look like uh, within a lender? The world is changing so fast at the moment. And all of the lenders that we work with, they want to segment risk in a much more precise manner. So having one scorecard for all of your customers is just not sufficient anymore. And it's also possible to be more accurate, to go more into the details than ever before. So how fast can you actually change your scorecard? Are you dependent on your IT team? Are you depending on your engineering team? Or can you, as a risk leader, as the head of lending, as credit analyst, how fast can you actually change your scorecards without being dependent on a party like uh, like the engineering uh, department in your company? You talk about unblocking your credit team. And I think that is a really exciting time for people in the space who have understood the value they can produce and have wanted to see it in action but have just had to accept that there's this three-month, six-month, 12-month delay from the point at which they design something to when they see it in operation. And that doesn't need to be there anymore. And as we said in our last discussion, it can't be there anymore. The world is moving too fast for for that sort of uh, delay. That's right. And I think on top of what you're mentioning that, you know, having a good user interface by, you know, no-code, low-code environment that allows risk experts who are not software engineers, but who have deep knowledge on the risk space to actually go on their own. On top, it's also the off-the-shelf data integrations that you need for agile scorecards. Because sometimes it's not about only adjusting a threshold or adding a new variable from the data that you're using, but it's like, if I now take payroll data into account, if I now take accounting data into, in, into account, would it actually help me to build a better predictor of future defaults or not? Pure accessibility to new data sources is something which just leads automatically to more experimentation and to much faster changing cycles of, of scorecards. And that's also the of lending report. It was one of the main outputs of our survey is like people are grasping for new data sources that they have not used before. And we live in a world in 2023 where there's definitely enough data out there in the market. You just got to get it to the risk teams in an easy manner. You summarize it as interactive decision design. What does that term mean to you within Tactile? So at its core, interactive decision design is about ensuring that the right people in the organization can collaborate to quickly build, test, and then iterate on automated decision flows. And what we briefly talked about through a no-code, low-code user interface and powerful data integrations, on the one hand, non-technical, and on the other hand, technical teams can collaborate to optimize credit policies. And this leads to, you know, them then undertaking highly accurate risk selection and also leading to increased landing volumes with profitability. And the way we see this happening at our customers is actually in three ways. The first one is making complex credit decisioning very simple. So that means that technical and non-technical colleagues can use the same tool to create and iterate on decision flows. Non-technical stakeholders are then empowered. And these 
are the people, the risk analysts, the credit analysts that do have the deep industry and domain knowledge. So for example, one of our customers, Savin in India, they offer a product called Can Now Pay Later, which is Buy Now Pay Later, but for doctor's offices, if people do not have health insurance. And they have brilliant and very technical engineers that build the machine learning models, but they also have the credit risk experts that are responsible for adjusting the pricing logic on top of the ML model. And having both of them on the same platform, that is one of the major advantages and why we call it interactive decision design. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even if you talk about pricing and risk-adjusted pricing, price elasticities, you know, a lot of new stakeholders come into place for like within a bank or fintech that also, if they have the possibility to work interactively on the decisioning platform, they can bring a lot of their ideas or even business strategies much faster into play and into production. So if you're like in a risk comedian, we say we have a bigger risk appetite now, can you actually start an A-B test the next morning and try to figure out which are the more inelastic customers in the world out there or in your portfolio and see how you can adjust that. So all of that collaboration is the main thing about interactive decision design. I would say I would add two more. The one is leverage off-the-shelf data integrations, credit scores, or we talked about on banking, accounting data, payroll data. There's so much out there that you actually, as a modern lending team, you want to use without, again, requiring any engineering support. And for example, one of our customers, Novo, it's a challenger bank in the US for SMBs. They launched their lending product with Tecta within three months. And one of the main reasons was that we had all the data integrations already built on the platform. And you've probably also dealt with the big bureaus and they're not super, super fast and they're not super, super modern. But having these data integrations in place is definitely something that helps fintechs to launch fast. And maybe the third point is that interactive decision design allows lenders to continuously improve the sophistication of their decisioning. So many of our customers, they start with something very simple, some rules, very, you know, easy system in order to make credit decisions. But over time, they want to have the possibility to combine those expert rules with predictive models. This, in the end, enhances decision accuracy and helps lenders to also enhance their risk selection even further. And one great example is, is definitely Branch, our first customer by now, one of the biggest micro lenders in the world. They have very sophisticated models in place in order to predict probability of default. Mike, I want to come back and just talk about one thing you mentioned there about helping fintechs launch quickly, because 
for me, one of the defining characteristics of the tactile offering is how early in the life of a lending product you can get involved. This is not just a product for big lenders with thousands of staff. You can accelerate the time to market for new products or lenders or products going into new geographies by using credit policy templates and these data integrations from a wide variety of countries and lending use cases. Yes, so going live with tactile is, I would say, very smooth and can happen rapidly. So once we sign a customer, our customer success team provides training and support for the platform. However, many of our customers prefer to just building and figuring it out on their own on the platform. On the other hand, on top of the software, we also have customers to identify the right data providers for their use case and for their customer segment. And we do share best practices from our experiences in the industry. By now, we've seen so many products and use cases that we can tell you if you want to launch a landing product in the UK for that type of segment, I think we have a very good idea of what are the possibilities out there of data source that you can actually use. In the end, and I mentioned that before, ultimately, we believe that risk policies are the core lending IP of a fintech or of a bank. And this is why we mainly provide a platform for our customers to collaborate, build and iterate on their policies. If they want some expertise, we love to sit down with them and share some. But in the end, you as a fintech, uh, you should you should own all of that IP yourself and you should iterate on your own. Yeah, and you spoke there, Mike, about the ease of, of doing business with Tactile. What does that process look like? Where should somebody who's uh, listening to this and thinking, well, I could really do with a, a modern decision engine, where should they go to start that conversation to learn a bit more about the product? Tactile.com, Tactile with a K, or of course they can connect with me on LinkedIn, but um, that is probably the best way to start a conversation and from there on we'd love to jump on a call understand your use case show you the product and 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 run from there is there a real world project that you think is a great example of what the tactile product and service can bring to a lender for me still one of the really astonishing things was and we briefly mentioned it before was novo that b2b neobank in new york where we helped them to launch the new funding product in under three months. You know, it's a, it's a huge company by now, and they decided to use Tacta, and they were able to launch the Novo funding product from scratch in under three months. And I think, why was that so fast? So our local platform made it super easy for their credit team and engineers to collaborate so that they could quickly implement the first credit policy and then bring the logic into production. And on top, they leveraged our data marketplace by pulling external data from key providers such as Experian in order to launch a product. I think that was you know, just like the pure speed of launching such an important product was super, super interesting. And then maybe second, one of my just favorite use cases on the platform is, is Branch. It's one of the most sophisticated microlenders in the world. They are live in, in Nigeria and in Kenya and in, in India, and they use very, very advanced and granular data in order to make risk positions. So even, you know, you as a customer, you can admit to that they use your cell phone data. And what they have developed in terms of sophistication in machine learning models, and they run on more than a couple of hundred thousands of underwriting decisions every day, is just astonishing. And by that, they do enable financial access to consumers in countries that actually do not have a banking system that allows easy access to to credit for many parts of the population. And it's just a very, very motivating use case to see on, you know, what enables 
a modern decisioning platform. That's probably, you know, two of my personal favorites. You also in there already mentioned a bit about the global data marketplace, but I want to talk a little bit more about it because you were on the show sort of two months ago now talking about the state of lending report. And one of the other key findings from that was that lenders are spending an enormous amount of their budgets for the future years looking at ways to acquire new data sources. So you've launched this global data marketplace. What is that and how connected is it to that finding? One of the things we saw in the State of Lending report is that access to new data sources is transforming the lending industry. It was the number one request from risk leaders all over the world on what they think is transformative into the industry in this year, next year, getting access to alternative data and new data sources. So yeah, lenders are increasingly looking to leverage new insights to make better decisions. And building those data integrations can be incredibly painful and requires a lot of engineering resources. And it's one of the places that actually blocks risk teams on a day-to-day level before they can really increase their risk selection. So what we now have is what we call a data marketplace And it does remove the pain and makes it easier for lenders to integrate data sources and use those insights into their flows. So we by now have partnered with leading traditional, but also very alternative data providers like Kodad from the UK for accounting data, Nova Credit from New York. They're building a more global credit bureau score, Plaid for open banking, Experian as, you know, one of the major traditional bureaus. And we now have them integrated technically into the platform and into the product so that the people can very easily access their data and don't have to wait for weeks and months for their teams to integrate them. I just want to finish by going slightly different because I saw on tactile.com that you have corporate lending solutions as well. We won't go too deep into it, but talk to me about how do those tools or philosophies differ or do they not need to differ anymore? To be precise here, our solution is a decision engine that can be used for multiple use cases. In the end, it's up to the customer on what they want to do with it, but it is quite different. The flows that you can see from the corporate lending side, the B2B side, and what you see from the consumer lending side. And the reason is that businesses are just very heterogeneous units compared to consumers. And the complexity just increases heavily. So one of the major difference is that in, in, in corporate lending, B2B lending, everything is not fully automated. There's still a very long tail of businesses that need to be evaluated that require manual review. And that is one of the things, like if you look at the decision flows, if you look at the policies, people want to increase automation rates in corporate lending. They're trying to get the long tail from manual review from the underwriters into a more automated decision. Plus, alternative data sources are also becoming increasingly important in B2B lending to actually help those uh, risk leaders to make better decisions. You know, having access to accounting data now via Codad is so incredible. Having access to banking transaction data via Plaid is also super incredible. So that's why I am very, very excited about B2B in 2024. And we do see a, a very large influx of customers coming to us and say, we want to increase automation rates. How can we do that with you? Mike, it's been a pleasure having you back on the show. It's always interesting to hear what's happening here and what's been enabled by the sort of agile systems. You mentioned earlier tactile.com, but let's just go back there again. If anybody does want to 
have a conversation, wants to reach out to you, wants to read some of these use cases or look closer at the product, where should they go to do that? We are very active on LinkedIn. Apart from that, our website, tactile.com with a K. Please let us know if there are any questions on the whole thing. I know it's an incredibly challenging time out there for fintechs. If you're just launching a new product or you're very far in your journey of having hundreds of thousands of decisions every day on the platform, we would love to to get in touch and discuss the case. Overall, Brandon, it's been a pleasure again talking, throwing some ideas uh, back and forth with you. So thanks a lot for having me on the show. It's been, it's been a pleasure. And thank you all for listening. Please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn, where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England, and edited by Fina Charlson of FC Productions. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show or just www.htlmts.show, and I'll see you again next Thursday. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 